I'm Kate Daniels. In meeting Peter Gathers now and having the opportunity to turn some pages of his new memoir, My Mother's Kitchen, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and the Meaning of Life, we get to do the thing I feel is so important about Mother's Day. We get to prolong the celebration as mothers deserve. So we're into the second week of celebrating, right? Peter Gathers is an American publisher, screenwriter, and author of television shows, and a very funny guy. It certainly comes through in this new book, My Mother's Kitchen, as well as the love that he has for his mother. This book is so wonderful on so many levels, and I feel we can learn a great deal. So let's meet Peter and learn more. Peter Grethers, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I am just so thrilled with this new book, My Mother's Kitchen, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and the Meaning of Life. And it is so funny. You are just really, uh, I would say, on the comedic scale. Do you think of yourself as such? Well, the thing is, I have written a lot of comedy. I wrote a pretty big hit show that played off-Broadway and is still touring around the country called Old Jews Telling Jokes. And I've written a lot of sitcoms in my life, and some of my books are funny. But one of the things I think as a writer is that being funny is not necessarily uh, separate from having serious points to make. And the way my brain works is the way I hope this book works is people laugh out loud but realize there's a kind of serious message underneath all the humor. Precisely, because you are really at the core of it, a writer, a writer who happens to be passionate about so many things, and that is the storytelling, passionate about food, and of course, passionate about family, I would say in particular, your mother, which is why we have this fabulous new book, My Mother's Kitchen, right? Exactly right. Yes. Um, And I am passionate about a lot of things. And it was interesting. I was talking to somebody last night, and this is my 12th book. So I I do consider myself a professional writer. I am hardly a professional chef or cook. Uh, I I am barely decent uh, as, as a cook. And somebody said to me, was there a connection between writing and food? And I hadn't really thought about it. And then I realized, well, you know what? The connection is, and I'm, this is one of my real passions, is craftsmanship. I'm, I'm hardly a genius writer. I don't think of myself as an artist. I think of myself as a really good craftsman. And I value good craftsmanship. And I realized that's what I value in the kitchen as well. And that's the connection. And, and it, was, it was really interesting to go, oh, there really is a, a connection between my two passions. So what a fabulous discovery to make in the course of bringing us all the stories revolving around your family, around food, because, of, of course, food was uh, really very central to what went on in your mother's life, really from early childhood, uh, it, well, her entire life, really. My mother's family owned a very famous, at the time, world-famous and legendary Jewish dairy restaurant called Ratner's. Um, And you could be almost anywhere in the world, and if you were with the right people and said the word Ratner's, they would swoon. Um, It was not fine cuisine by any means. As I I have said in the book, or as I said in the book, it was the kind of restaurant where midway through the meal you could actually feel your arteries start to harden. (laughs) But it was delicious and 
culturally a major part of New York for many, many decades. My mother then went on to become a kind of celebrated cook and book cookbook writer because she took her very first job outside the home when she was 53 years old at a restaurant at the lowest possible level because she wanted to learn to be a good French cook. And at the end of that year, she wasn't just a good French cook. The baby chef at that restaurant was a guy named Wolfgang Puck. And my mother became a real mentor to Wolf and that whole generation of chefs who went on to become very famous. And she wound up opening a cooking school and cooking alongside people like Julia Child. And it, a bit to my embarrassment, since I was in my early 20s at the time, I can honestly say that since then, and as a result of my mother's move into the food world, I have not made a major and crucial decision in my life since then that has not revolved around food or drink. So it was a life changer. And isn't it then so amazing how something which seems so natural in our lives really becomes so central in this huge area that makes such a difference? And and it really, which is what the book is about, you start, you wrote this because your mother was coming to the end of her life and you wanted to do some special things for her. Well, one of the things that really sparked this when I was talking to my mother, and I, I didn't do all this with the intention of writing a book, and then I realized I needed to convey my mother's thoughts and skills and, and sort of inspirational aura. Uh, I asked her, she had had a major stroke, and she was quite aphasic, and so conversation was difficult, but you could get there. And I asked her what was so important about cooking to her. And she thought long and hard, and I, I thought it was going to be something like, oh, because it made other people feel good, and I was able to share things. And she said, no, it was for myself. And I said, really? And she said, yes, cooking gave her an identity, and an identity brought her comfort. And I thought, you know what? In today's world especially, so many people are looking for comfort. So I decided to see what it was that gave her that identity and comfort, and she gave me her favorite foods, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I learned to cook all of them for her. And in that process, spoke to her about everything from her marriage to our family to everything about life and ultimately really everything about death as she got older and older. And I learned that food was such an important bridge between people. And sharing of food was such an important way for people to communicate honestly. And it was uh, it was pretty amazing to experience it. And isn't that so critical? That's why this book, My Mother's Kitchen, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and the Meaning of Life, is such an important work, I think, for any of us, because so often we may have that difficulty of making the connection. I think by reading all the stories, the big story here, gives us a chance to really have these in conversations, go through some of the thought process, and it's a way to maybe bridge that conversation with our own families. You you just put that perfectly. I didn't really realize this until after I wrote the book and I was talking to somebody. And I said, you know, here is what was extraordinary for me, and this is what I realized, that my mother died a year ago, and when she died, and she died in the most perfect way, in her own bed, steps from her own kitchen, 
after drinking a hot chocolate at the age of 93, she said, I've had enough, closed her eyes and died. And it was wonderful. But one of the things I realized is that when she died, because of the conversations, because of the things we had shared over the past few years, I had no regrets about my relationship with her. And it's important for a child to have no regrets with a parent. And she had no regrets with me. And it's important for a parent to have no regrets with a child. That doesn't mean, you know, we never argued or anything. Neither of us are perfect. But we said everything and did everything we needed to do to and for each other. And to me, that's the lesson of the book, how, how wonderful that is. Truly, it is. And it really reminds us in such a lovely way how to potentially go about it. You did it perfectly in your circumstances with your mother, with the food, and with just using that as a great communications tool and building that bond, continuing the bond. Thus, it lets us see what are we going to do in our own lives. But here with food, you were able to to have these conversations and really, I can see that you would not have regrets and that your mother was able to do just what she wanted to do. And it, it seemed to be so life-giving to her each step of the way, just as you thought she might be slipping away. All of a sudden, it was like new life again. Well, there were many times when the doctors told me my mother wouldn't walk again, she wouldn't talk again, she couldn't move again, she wouldn't eat again. My, my sort of favorite thing in the book, and this is people don't believe it, but I, I can produce many, many witnesses. Um, when, after she turned 93, the doctors came to me and said, she's only got two to five days left. She's never, she's not going to be able to eat anymore. We have to put her in home hospice care. We'll feed her ice chips and she'll die peacefully. And I went, okay. And I talked to her about it. She was sort of in and out of consciousness. She was very weak. She knew what was happening. Three weeks later, she went out with her hospice nurse for lunch and had a pastrami sandwich. So she just was indomitable as the word, as well as stubborn. She loved life and she refused to give in. And I watched it close up and, you know, it's hard not to be inspired by that. I, I did say to her, you have to be the only person in the history of the world who ever went out for a pastrami sandwich with your hospice nurse. <laughs> well, and you have to wonder then, the food, what did it have to do in terms of that? But she, this passion was something that just really stimulated us and or stimulated her, I should say. It seemed to give her new life until she finally said, okay, that's enough, right? I'm, I'm tired. No, the, the thing that's so interesting is her life toward the end was greatly diminished. She'd had a major stroke. She was very aphasic. Language was difficult for her. But the one thing she never lost was her sense of taste. And that, it, that sense of taste and thus food became a crucial connection to her, to the rest of the world. And I think as long as you have, you know, music does that to people sometimes. There are a few things that do it. But, but for me, it's really food more than almost anything because it's the one thing everybody shares. And... It, it really was it, – it didn't kept keep her alive in the sense that she had to eat to stay alive. It kept her alive in the sense that it was such a great pleasure for her. She really didn't want to leave it behind. 
Precisely. And and your interest in it and sharing that with her and then wanting to cook these special foods for her, I think, really was invigorating. Oh, it was more than that. It was life-changing for me. I learned so much doing it and not just learning how to cook. What I found, and, and that's why part of the subtitle has the audacious part uh, and the meaning of life, uh, is I think you can take what you learn in a kitchen and really apply it in a very important way to everything outside the kitchen. So, such as, yes, I mean, I can give you a few examples if we have time. Of course, uh, you know, I learned that to be a good cook requires a huge amount of patience, not something that I have an abundance of, but you have to be patient in the kitchen. You have to, at the same time, throw that patience aside and say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing, because sometimes being impetuous leads to a delicious result in the kitchen and out. You can have no fear in the kitchen. You can't be afraid of failure, which I think maybe is the most important thing I learned. And then equally important, I guess, is in the kitchen there is always a sense of hope. And I know my mother felt that and that that translated to real life. And it has now for me that one of the things I really enjoy, and if you read the book, you'll know, I screw up everything while I'm cooking. I am not a great cook. And the process, which I describe in great detail of trying to make all these recipes, I I think are really funny, but also in a weird way inspiring because I did it all. I really did make everything and it all turned out great except for one thing which I couldn't lick, but I have hope. I'm going to lick that. I'm going to make it perfectly. I know it. And that's what you get from cooking is this eternal sense of hope that all the ingredients are going to come together and coalesce, just like in life. And you found that there is this thing about needing to follow directions, and uh, that isn't always your strongest suit as well. No, no, that's by far my weakest suit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you you have to do it to get things done. And you also, the same way I learned anger is a good motivation in a lot of ways, in the kitchen and out. But once you actually begin the process, you have to put all anger aside because then it's only counterproductive. And it's in this process of the recipes and the cooking that we get this experience of your comedic side, the your your comments yeah. about things that you know just make us laugh out loud because it, it is hilarious the way that you approach this and and uh, you have no clue about so, what some of these tools are even though they've been in your kitchen for uh, p- potentially years and decades. Yes, I had no idea what they were, and I would call my girlfriend and go well, this recipe calls for this contraption. What is this? And she says, you have it in your pantry. And I go, I do? And she says, yes, your mother gave it to you seven years ago. Every 18 months or so, you ask me what it is, and I tell you. And I go, oh, okay. And I used it for, in fact, I used that particular contraption for for Eggs Benedict, which is one of the things my mother picked as her favorite breakfast foods. And yeah, I, you know, basically I'm adult in the kitchen, and it was really fun to learn the craft of cooking along the way and share that with people. I, I do think it's kind of valuable because 
if you follow the the 15 or so recipes that I follow in the book, you're going to be able to make really good meals, but you're also going to not worry so much when you go, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. And the majority of these really were the the foods that your mother had a special connection to that she really had a, a bias, I would say, towards. And let's talk about that special breakfast, the matzah brai. Matzah brai? Matzah yeah. brai. Well, uh, everything that my mother picked for breakfast, lunch, and dinner wasn't just because she loved the taste. It was because everything in there had an emotional resonance for her and often for me, and they certainly do now. Because, again, food brings about a, an incredible sense memory about the past. So one of the things she put was matzah brai, which I, I say in my mother's kitchen, a reasonably coordinated monkey could actually make matzah brai. It was not difficult. And it was something that her father used to have in Ratner's in the family restaurant. And I loved it as a little, little boy. And my mother loved it, and we loved eating it at Ratner's, and she used to make it for me. And so I, when I made it for her, and she actually told me it was perfect, it was a complete pathway to the past for both of us because it really was a, a, a gateway to a wonderful connection for me as a little boy, for her as a young mother. And one of the things I write about in the book, if you're lucky enough for your parents to, to really get as old as my mother got, 93, there's a certain change that happens uh, in that you kind of reverse roles. And for my mother, especially after her stroke, I had to become the parent in a lot of ways, and she became the child because there were things she couldn't do. And there is actually a real pleasure in that. And when I made this for her, it was a perfect example of that role reversal that was very satisfying. I'd given her back her youth, and I'd given me back my own youth to a degree. And we're able to embrace all that, the decades, the, the centuries, really, of family and all the history that has gone on by doing this kind of thing. What a gift that was for each of you. And I think, again, Peter, you're giving that to us as a gift to think about how it is that we can apply it in our own life. You know, I hope that's the lesson people take away. I, I have said repeatedly you know, at, by the end of this process, I had no regrets about my relationship with my mother, and she had none with me. And that's a, a very valuable lesson. I, years ago, you, you had you told the audience I'm also a book editor. I do many things. And years ago, when I was a very, very young editor, I edited a, a, a best-selling book by a writer named Tom Robbins called Still Life with Woodpecker. And I still remember the last line of his book was, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And what I learned, one of the things I did in, in this book was I made chocolate pudding for my mother, which was something she used to make for me when I was eight years old. And to give that to her at age 93 and feed it to her off a wooden spoon the way she fed it to me when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I, I sort of realized it's never too late to make your mother chocolate pudding, the same way it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And, you know, it's a good lesson to not have regrets with your parent and a good lesson for a parent not to have regrets with a child. Oh, 
absolutely, without question. And that's the thing for us to realize is that to take the opportunities when they are at hand and to consider them. Not that everything will be bliss, of course. That's not what it's about because that's not life. No, no, it's not right? about that at yeah. all. It's it's not perfect. Here's here's what became interesting to me. And again, I didn't realize till after I wrote the book. My publisher said to me, I think this is a mother-son love story. And I said, you know what? I don't think that's what it is. And that's not very interesting to me. What's interesting to me is I think it's a mother-son friendship story because the love was always a given. You love your parents, you know, most of the time. Your parents love you, but friendship is a lot harder, and that was the real value for me. My mom and I became really close friends. And we're able to do this in this case through that food connection, which was really probably more her passion, but it you really grasp that too. And I think it's probably, would you say that you really want to do more of this in your life now, more cooking? Oh, completely. I'm not kidding when I say that I make no decisions, no important decisions that don't revolve around food. Uh, I own a little cottage, a I can't say house because it's so small, but I actually own and bought a little cottage in the middle of nowhere in Sicily because it was on the grounds of the best restaurant in Sicily. And I went, you know what? I could come here a few weeks a year and just eat at their place and eat pasta. So I bought a house there, which I could afford. It was not expensive, but it was a completely idiotic thing to do. But I was driven by food. I once quit my job when I was a pretty reasonably high-powered publishing person. I went, you know what, I was just in France on a vacation, and I ate this incredible food, and I drank this incredible wine. I want to do this all the time. So I went there for a year so I could eat and drink. So it is a very important thing to me, and now I kind of understand why, and it's going to continue to be. You know, and the thing about food, unlike, say, if my mother's passion was carpentry, I, I would not have been an effective of that. I definitely would have severed several fingers if I tried to meet her on a carpentry level. But cooking, everybody can do and everybody can share. And share you definitely did because you were able to uh, in, obviously include others, uh, if not just her caregivers. Other family were involved. And even in those last months when you talk about your brother coming to visit and you had takeout Chinese, so you weren't cooking, yeah. but it was still food, how in, really life-giving that was to your mother as well. It was completely life-giving. It was when I, I, I said earlier uh, she had a few days left to live, according to the doctors, and I ordered in Chinese food. My brother had come from far away to spend some time with us and, you know, especially with my mom. And, you know, we didn't know what would happen. And I said, it's now or never. And so I got Chinese food for us. And my mother, you know, who was just in bed and not very conscious, suddenly went, that smells good. And I'd been told, and I said, you want some? And she went, yes. And this is when she was supposed to be eating ice chips. So she wound up having an egg roll and, you know, take out Chinese food. And it was, wait, this is impossible. But that's what she wanted. And it was life-giving for her. It really was. So it's, it's so beautiful, the stories. They're 
really the gamut from laughing out loud funny because of the way that you relate them. You just have a great take on how to present it, Peter. But also, you know, the really touching ones where we can feel, you know, the tear coming down our eye. All of that's so good because it's all about life. Um, That is life to me. I have a a funny and a little bit absurd view of life, but I'm also a bit of a sentimentalist, and I think things are sad. But ultimately, uh, I think life is a good thing and a happy thing, even with the sadness that comes often. And again, that was a lesson I learned from my mother. You know, she was facing death and she had no fear. She laughed till the end. She had a great time till the end and and said, okay, it happens to everybody. I'm ready. And so it wasn't just her life that was inspiring, which it was, it was her death that was inspiring. So I hope I convey the, the humor and the the sadness in a way, although sadness is really a misnomer. It's touching, I think. Yes, touching. And and your mother, I must say this, it was so remarkable in how she faced having the stroke uh, that she, the doctors felt that they normally would be giving people antidepressants, but that she yeah. sort of took all of that in stride and she just moved forward and you know, dealt with it. My- my mother had this incredible incredible ability, and I do think she learned this in the kitchen, really. It was sort of what I said about learning hope, that, that ultimately things coalesce. She never looked back. The same way in the kitchen, you don't look back at your failures. You figure out how to move forward. And my mother had really and truly seven different cancers in her life. When she was 40, she was given a 5% chance of living 12 months, and she lived another 53 years. She had two strokes, one of them when she was on a safari in Africa, and she just, she walked a mile, got on a raft, crossed a river, took a little plane, came back to New York after she had a stroke and part of her body was paralyzed. She completely recovered. Then when she had this major stroke, she basically just went, I'm not looking back. And her doctor, who's extraordinary, did say to me, I- I've never met anyone like your mother. And he was a gerontologist, so he dealt with a lot of people in the end-of-life process. And he said, everybody gets depressed because their life is diminished. And he said, I've had long talks with your mother. She's not only not depressed, she's not in denial. She's just made the decision that this is my life now going forward and I'm going to make the best of it. And it was just overwhelming to me that anyone could be like that. I mean, I hope some of it rubs off on me. Well, you're allowing us to let it rub off on us if we choose to. You know, once again, I hope it does. I, I do too. Uh, as I had said earlier, and, and you concurred, that this book is such a wonderful opportunity to share this story and use it as a a launching pad, if you will, to have these conversations with our own family members. Don't put it off because it really is so life-giving and is so rewarding. I hope that's right. You just said that better than I could, but that is, I didn't realize this when I started. I realized it partway through. That is why I was writing the book. I thought it would be quite valuable. And so what we want to let everyone know is, of course, get your copy. It's available at any and all of our favorite book sources, correct? 
everywhere, I hope. <laughs> and if not, ask Online, for... in brick-and-mortar stores, you name it. Exactly. Well, Peter... If you need it, I'll come to your house and hand sell it. <laughs> read it to us. <laughs> exactly. Right. I did actually read the audio book, and that was really difficult. It is available in audio book, and I'd never done that before. And they said, this is such a personal memoir, you must do it yourself. And... It was hard. It was three and a half days, and it was probably a half day longer because I kept getting choked up and crying a little bit. Some of that is still in the audiobook, I, I would say, much to my embarrassment. No, much to who you are and what the relationship <laughs> was. I think that that's just so beautiful. Well, Peter Gathers, we certainly appreciate that you've written this wonderful book, My Mother's Kitchen. We need to get our own copy. Thank you so greatly, and have a most wonderful day. Oh, thank you so much. You too.